want the truth? Do you want the truth about the Cleveland Browns? Well, you can't handle the truth. The truth is the analytics movement in football will be fine. I am not outraged by the firing of Sashi Brown. I'm just not. I predicted it this offseason. Now, Sam Henke was a cautionary tale for Sashi Brown. You can't tank over multiple years. You can tank one season. You can have one 1-15 or 0-16 season. One. You string together consecutive 1-15 or 0-16 seasons. You yourself, the general manager, is at risk of being fired and not be in a position to watch the analytical efforts of the front office bear fruit. And that's what's happened in Cleveland. And they were unlucky. Just look at the point differential for the Browns versus other franchises in the NFL. They were hugely unlucky. The Browns could be a four-win team right now. It would help if they had a more competent coach. So in some ways, you could argue Sashi Brown was betrayed by his adversary, Hugh Jackson, his internal adversary. But the Miami Dolphins and the Cleveland Browns had a similar point differential, and yet the Miami Dolphins have five wins. Denver Broncos have three wins. Bears have three wins. So it's easy to imagine a scenario in which the Cleveland Browns are three-win franchise at this moment. And if that's the case, I don't think Sashi Brown gets fired. But the reality is the team is 0-12. And the owner of this franchise is Jim Haslam. And we know who Jim Haslam is. Jim Haslam was under federal investigation for years. A guy under federal investigation can't be trusted. So I did not move all my chips into the middle of the table, betting on the Cleveland Browns, proving the merits of an analytics-based player evaluation process in football, particularly after the Sam Henke experience in Philadelphia, all I could muster was subtle optimism. That's it, and that's all. So I don't feel betrayed today. I'm not enraged at the NFL machine vanquishing our last hope at an analytics-based revolution in football. I think it turns back the clock on this inevitable evolution five years because it's going to happen. It happened in baseball. It happened in basketball. It will happen in football. It's now delayed. If Sashi Brown were able to stay with Cleveland and see this project through to the sure success that the Cleveland Browns will enjoy in the years ahead, then that would have been a boon for football analytics. That's true. And an analytics boon would help player profiler. That's also true. But according to Warren Buffett, happiness is your current state subtracted by your expectations. And my expectations were never particularly high for analytics to win the day in Cleveland. They just weren't. Stark realism is all I felt. So in some ways, today is a day of vindication for my muted optimism. Because the Sashi Brown hiring and Brown's hiring of Paul D. Podesta, it was all just too good to be true. But it was a positive step. Absolutely. Like Sam Henke, Sashi Brown is a martyr for the cause of football analytics. He has furthered the cause because the Cleveland Browns will be good in the years ahead because of Sashi Brown's philosophy that he put in practice in Cleveland. Just like in Philadelphia, Cleveland will install a traditional football guy. We know it. In Philadelphia, they hired a Colangelo. Why? They needed a basketball guy. In Cleveland, they'll hire a football guy. And he will ride the front of the wave of Cleveland's ultimate resurrection. And the genesis of that resurrection was Sashi Brown and analytics. But the foundation of this team that Sashi Brown and Paul De Podesta created was so sound that even a cliche football guy 
just replacement level guy can come in and succeed with this team because of what the analytics team the Browns built. They made it dummy proof just like Sam Henke made the 76ers dummy proof. The 76ers went out and traded the pick that became Jason Tatum for Markel Fultz. They traded a future star and a future first rounder for a lottery bust. As soon as the Colangelos took control of that franchise in Philadelphia, they began tinkering with the blueprint and gumming up the gears of the machine. But the original machine was so well built with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid that it can't be sabotaged. It's sabotage proof. And with multiple picks in the top 10 and a treasure trove of high value picks in that 2018 draft, the Browns are sabotage proof, but they will not meet their full potential. Why? Because Jimmy Haslam fired the management team that made it possible, that made this inevitable turnaround possible. But the team will turn around and analytics will be given some credit. Not enough, but some. And that will help to further the movement. But yes, it is frustrating that the original team of Brown and DePodesta could not see this project through because Jimmy Haslam is one of the NFL's many incompetent owners. He lacks leadership and vision. What is at the core of great leadership and great vision? It's sound philosophy and conviction. You must have sound philosophy and conviction. Otherwise, your decisions just sway in the wind with what's popular. Oh, I heard Moneyball's popular. We should find a Moneyball guy. Bring in a Moneyball guy. So they brought in a Moneyball guy. And the team went 1-15. And now the team is 0-12. And the Moneyball guy gets fired. Why? Because the man at the top of the pyramid, Jimmy Haslam, did not share the philosophy of the front office. And because he did not share in the philosophical underpinnings that guided Sashi Brown's Roster moves which replenished this team with talent over the last two years. Consistently trading 50 cents for dollar bills. Sashi Brown was in a precarious position because the man at the top utterly lacked conviction. And without a core belief system on how a team should be run, without a guiding philosophy, it's impossible for that person to have conviction and that's what makes that person incompetent. The lack of philosophy and conviction are the underpinnings of the incompetence. And this was echoed by Paul DePodesta when asked about the front office's ability to overcome adversity and to maintain their vision in the face of consecutive seasons finishing 32 out of 32 teams. Paul DePodesta said the following, Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know. If you ever take your kids to an amusement park at Disneyland, they beg you to go on the Big Daddy roller coaster. They beg you. They say, are you sure? They say, absolutely. I want to go on this thing. So you wait in line 45 minutes. It takes up a good chunk of your day. You finally get to the front of the line. They eyeball it and they say, uh, I'm not getting on that thing. Not at all. And that's what happens to a lot of owners. They would say, hey, we want money ball. We want to do this disciplined approach. But then when it comes time to make those hard decisions and be disciplined, they say, I don't want any part of this. And Paul DePodesta predicted exactly what would happen in Cleveland. Wow, I am feeling something, and it feels a lot like rage after all. Best thing to do, create a one-week fantasy team on draft. Yes, go to your app store or go to playdraft.com, download the draft app, and you can create a one-week fantasy team with your friends using the snake draft approach so everybody has different players and unique rosters. And when you make your first deposit, be sure to use the promo code UNDERWORLD 
to get free entry into your first contest. Yes, I told myself I wasn't agitated. I wouldn't get agitated, but here I am, agitated. So, let's go talk to a friend. Heath Cummings from CBS Sports Fantasy. Go follow him at Heath Cummings, SR on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. Heath Cummings, yes, the senior writer for CBS Fantasy is on the Underworld program. Heath Cummings, talk to me. You sound almost excited for me to be here as I am to be here. This is going to be awesome. Yes, your debut on the Underworld podcast. And we start, of course, with Russell Wilson because we've been talking about Russell Wilson for years. There's this idea, this shimmering fantasy out in the clouds that Russell Wilson could one day be the best fantasy quarterback of all time because he has the whole package and he started playing at a high level and scoring lots of fantasy points at an early age. Can Russell Wilson become the best quarterback in fantasy football history? Is it possible? Yes, is it just is it possible? Just is it possible? It's possible. It's it's like any individual that you're asking about this other than Tom Brady that the likelihood is probably no. But possible? Absolutely. We've seen him have some remarkably efficient years. And if you just took what he did in those years and gave him the type of pass volume that a Brady or a Breeze gets, then yes. Yes, this is what I'm saying, Heath. Yes. And the rushing production, right? This is the perfect quarterback for fantasy football. Now, I think the question is, and something we've never seen, is can somebody run the ball as often as Russell Wilson does, as often as Cam Newton does, and have a 15, 18-year career doing that and be at the top of the game for a considerable period of time? Like I, I have no problem envisioning a season in which Russell Wilson leads all quarterbacks in passing touchdowns, runs for six or 700 yards and 10 touchdowns, and it's just like the greatest thing we've ever seen. Right, the 30 points per game fantasy season. Right. That, that's, that's, what, that's well within play here. But when you're saying, can he be the greatest fantasy quarterback ever, he can't just do that one year and then get hurt the next year and then just be a, a top seven guy and be the greatest fantasy quarterback ever, right? Or are we just asking if he can have the greatest fantasy season ever? That's right. No, he could, with longevity, become the best fantasy quarterback of all time, the most QB1 seasons in the history of fantasy football, for instance. And the longevity piece is important because I've also said that Antonio Brown is the best wide receiver since Jerry Rice. And then my mentions are inundated with, what about Randy Moss and Randy Moss this, Randy Moss that, 10 Randy Moss memes. And my reaction is, well, I addressed Randy Moss in my article on Yahoo Fantasy about Antonio Brown threatening Jerry Rice's records primarily the receptions record all time. One of the reasons why I believe Antonio Brown is the best wide receiver since Jerry Rice is his work off the field that will lead to longevity, that will allow him to play to age 39. Meanwhile, Randy Moss flamed out in his early 30s. That matters. No, he doesn't have the statistics that Randy Moss has compiled thus far through age 29. Of course not. I am projecting Antonio Brown because of the way he has honed his craft and the way he has crafted his body to play out until his late 30s at a high level. And once you extrapolate out that far, you see, oh, wow, he could approach the receptions record. He could approach Jerry Rice's receiving yards record. Do you agree with me? 
yes, he could. I, I guess here's my question, because there's another wide receiver that's a little bit further down the path than Antonio Brown is that is putting up a pretty remarkable season at his age that I think may even be ahead of some of Jerry Rice's paces for his age. And that's Larry Fitzgerald. Is this Larry Fitzgerald? Yes, yes. And so what, what I wonder is, because Antonio Brown, I have no doubt about his ability and what he's done for his craft, but he has a quarterback that's already talked about he's not sure how much longer he wants to play. He's talking about this week about how he hopes that his sons play golf. How much longer has Ben there? And if Ben leaves, does Brown have to go through what Larry Fitzgerald did for three or four years? Because imagine if Larry Fitzgerald had had a good quarterback that whole time. Well, those were lost seasons in Arizona. 2012, 798 yards in 16 games. How the hell does a quarterback allow Larry Fitzgerald to only compile 798 yards in 16 games? What an embarrassment. How is that even possible? He's done what no cornerback has ever been to do. It was John Skelton and Ryan Lindley that were responsible for that. I mean, that's a crime against football, what John Skelton and Ryan Lindley committed during their time in Arizona. Because if Larry Fitzgerald had posted a normal Larry Fitzgerald season in his uber prime, yes, those were his prime, 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 prime years, then he would be a lot further along in catching Jerry Rice. Yeah, I think you have to give him credit for the fact that he is where he is statistically for his career, despite dealing with those three or four years of just, I mean, sub-replacement level is being nice about it. An abomination? Sure. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So that's a great point. So actually, if we give him credit for those lost years in his prime, then yes, then I think Antonio Brown and Larry Fitzgerald are both on pace to challenge Jerry Rice and be regarded as the best receiver since Jerry Rice, better than Randy Moss because both Larry Fitzgerald and Antonio Brown have the longevity piece that Randy Moss is missing. And to me, that's a huge piece. That's big. If you participate in a rigorous strength and conditioning program, you can add five years to your career. And if you choose to opt out of that and you lose those five years, you can't be regarded in on the same level as the guys that are putting up better statistics. You just can't. Right. Well, and I think what people would say is, well, it's the one game argument. If you just had one game, you would rather have Randy Moss. And that's probably true as long as you're guaranteeing me that Randy Moss is going to try in that one game. Yeah, I don't know, man. One game of Antonio Brown's pretty damn amazing. That's true. You know, And if it's a game for all the marbles, we've seen what Larry Fitzgerald's done in the playoffs. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I'm excited to see Antonio Brown in the playoffs. I'm also excited to see Antonio Brown with Juju Smith-Schuster in the playoffs. I think that's the one team that can challenge the Patriots. But this week, we don't have Juju Smith-Schuster. It's going to be Martavis Bryant in a starting role. Are you playing Martavis Bryant this week without Juju Smith-Schuster in the lineup? Uh, That depends largely on how many wide receivers I have to play. I know some people are a lot more excited than I am about Martavis Bryant. People are excited. He has some positive things going for him. There's that whole weird thing where he almost always scores a touchdown when he plays at home. Right. And I don't put a whole lot into that, but it's true. And Ben Roethlisberger for four years now has been amazingly good at home and just like sub Andy Dalton on the road. I view Martavis Bryant as a lot like I did Josh Doxson last week. I think he's going to probably get six or seven targets. He's probably going to catch somewhere between three and five of them. Gonna end up somewhere between four and seven fantasy points based on yards. He is a number three wide receiver that you hope scores a touchdown and then makes me look stupid. Maybe he scores two and I look really stupid, but I, I don't 
think there is much floor at all there for Bryant. Well, earlier in the season, when Juju Smith-Schuster was the number three option to Martavis Bryant, Martavis Bryant wasn't producing. So this idea that suddenly the lights come on in week 14, I'm not sure. So I am tempering expectations. But Ben Roethlisberger is playing a lot better now than he was earlier in the season. For sure. If you are sitting in that number two wide receiver chair, then I have to project, you know, a target share gives you seven or eight targets. And then because these are going to be downfield targets at any point, he can score a long touchdown. So I am a little bit more excited about Martavis Bryant. Not as excited as I am about Rex Burkhead because... No running back is rising faster up rankings than Rex Burkhead. I see, oh, RB3. Then I see, oh, RB2. Then, oh, RB1! Is Rex Burkhead rising fast for you? He he absolutely is. A couple of days ago, he was my number six running back in PPR for week 14. Nice! But that has changed a little bit, and it's because of somebody you're very excited about, and that's Chris Hogan. Because we saw the last time Gronk was out, Brady threw 11 passes to his running backs. He threw 11 passes to Chris Hogan. When I was projecting this game as if Tom Brady was going to have Brandon Cooks and a bunch of running backs to throw the football to, I didn't see any way that Rex Burkhead was anything other than a number one running back. I do expect if Hogan comes back, Hogan's going to be, first off, he's going to be a bit of a target hog. We're going to see a lot of targets for Cooks and for Hogan. Second, Hogan's been used a lot in the red zone. And so I think that hurts Burkhead's touchdown potential just a little bit. Not a lot. I still think he's got a good odds to score a touchdown. Not as good of odds to score multiple touchdowns. So for me, he's more of a borderline number one, number two running back this week if Hogan plays. If Hogan doesn't play, give me all of the Rex Burkhead. Yes, we have Rex Burkhead on the playerprofiler.com weekly rankings as an RB2, not an RB1. The number 13 running back this week is Rex Burkhead because we are assuming Chris Hogan plays and we have Chris Hogan as a WR1 in fantasy this week, a top 10 option because he's facing Miami. He's facing Miami at Miami absorbing some of those Gronk targets. Chris Hogan was a WR1 before the injury. Now he's coming back and there's no Rob Gronkowski. You're damn right. We're going to project him to be a WR1 this week. Now, did you agree with that Gronk suspension, the number of games? Like I felt very strongly there should be a suspension. I did not feel as strongly as everyone else seems to about what the length of the suspension should be. It's kind of... Send a message. It, yeah, send a message I think is good. They've sent a lot of messages over the last couple of weeks, and, I, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> They've sent a lot of messages to the Patriots over the past couple of years, right? Yes. I mean, maybe Deflategate was a bit excessive, so... Right. Uh, the, the Gronk play specifically was a little bit out of the ordinary for today's football. That was something we saw a lot in the 70s and 80s, specifically with the Chiefs and Raiders. That spear into the back or push into the back of the head after the play... But that was more accepted. You might get a 15-yard penalty. You might not. Right. Now guys just don't really do that. And so they've set the precedent that that's one game. Maybe it's a little light. I think because Tredavious White suffered a concussion, and now we know a lot more about the brain trauma that happens inside those helmets, Yeah. this is where the zeal to suspend Gronkowski longer comes from. But because yes. of this precedent that's been set that there have been spears to the back, And in those instances, after the whistle, the player gets one game. But I think it's something they need to strongly consider in future years. Anytime you're going to create a concussion scenario after the whistle, that it's a multi-game suspension. My my only problem with that 
and it's not even with this specific instance, but I have a real problem with what happens to the guy is going to change the length of the suspension. Because Gronk could have very easily done that exact same thing and no concussion was suffered. And so right. if no concussion suffered, I don't feel like the result really changes what he did. You have to look, in my opinion, at his action. And maybe that action is always two games. But I think that action should always be what it is. Right. I'm saying if he spears the guy in the butt... <laughs> Right, that it's not as big of a deal when you spear the guy high, it becomes a much bigger deal. I think that's just take the helmets off. It stopped happening. Oh, well, yes, of course. <laughs> All right, so we talked about running backs with Rex Burkhead continuing to look at running backs heading into week 14. Mike Davis, right? He looked good in week 13, the first. Seattle Seahawks running back to look good all year. It took 13 weeks. So are you buying that Mike Davis has fixed the Seattle run game? We don't, we're not lucky enough at this time of year and specifically this week, it seems like to get anything that comes without a caveat. Like, yes, Mike Davis looked amazing. Mike Davis, in my opinion, looked like the best running back on the Seahawks. Oh, but he gets Jacksonville in week 14 and they're talking about Chris Carson coming back after that. So Am I buying that Mike Davis looks like the best Seattle running back? Yes. I've got him ranked as a flex this week because it's not a fantastic matchup and I don't see the Seattle scoring a lot of points. I'm with you. I have him as the number 31 running back. I think he's a flex play. I don't think you can play him over guys that are locked in starters in established roles that have been producing this season. No, I, I, I agree completely. I've got him a little bit higher than that. I think I have him at 27 right now. Right. And I do. The, the thing I really like is what he's done in the passing game. And if they're going to throw the ball a little bit more to him, that's outstanding. Give all of the work to one guy. I wish every team would just do that, but nobody does. Um, it's just this week's uncertain because of the matchup and the future's uncertain because of Chris Carson. And that makes it hard for me to get too excited about him. Yeah, I'm not excited about Mike Davis. I'm slowly becoming more excited about Jamal Williams only because the Packers are excited about Jamal Williams and they're playing Jamal Williams, the lion's share of the running back snaps. The Packers tend to do this. They like to pick a winner in that backfield and give them the lion's share of the touches. And it seems the Packers have decided Jamal Williams is the current winner over Aaron Jones. Well, it sure seemed that way until I saw the depth chart this week. What happened? Aaron Jones is listed as the starting running back. Is he really? Now, I don't know. A lot of times depth charts mean absolutely nothing, but it's the most frustrating. Yes, I thought Williams was the top 10 running back this week. The Browns are getting gashed on the ground. I think Green Bay has a good game script. Aaron Jones only got one carry last week. Everything's in Jamal Williams' favor. Now, how can Aaron Jones be active and only get one carry and us to somehow run out to best-case scenario on Aaron Jones <laughs> in Week 14? No, of course not. We're going to temper expectations on Aaron Jones and as fantasy gamers assume that the team will ride the hot hand as they typically do. And then this step chart comes out and I'm excited because I don't have Jamal Williams anywhere, but it does muddle the projections quite a bit. Yes. It scares me. Um, I, I will probably drop Williams just a little bit. There's no way I'm dropping him out of start range. He's still going to be a oh, top 15 running back, but have to start. there is a little bit of risk that I did not think existed when I went to bed last night. And I hate that. Well, the same is true with Peyton Barber. You'd like Peyton Barber to be locked into that starting role, but now we see Doug Martin will likely play and cannibalize some of Peyton Barber's touches. But I don't view Doug Martin as the starter any longer, do you? No. I view it as more of a timeshare, though. 
And so that makes me very quick. Listen, the matchup is outstanding. That's the thing. The Lions have been awful. Early in the year, there's this weird thing where they were actually pretty good in terms of yardage and on a per carry basis, but they kept giving up rushing touchdowns. And then here recently, they've just been awful at everything. Right. And so when I was thinking that Peyton Barber might be in line for 16 to 20 touches, he's looking like a high-end number two running back, maybe better. Now I think you have to temper expectations, look more in the 12 to 15 range with Doug Martin stealing a little bit of that work. And so that makes him a low-end number two that you may have two better options then. Right. I get this question on Twitter. Who do I start, Peyton Barber or Mike Davis? Right. I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) They are adjacent in the rankings. What the hell do you want me to do? I don't know. Yeah. Run your own damn fantasy team. Make a decision. Aren't you the manager of your fantasy team? You can see that Barber and Davis are about equivalent, according to our projections, heading into this week, then now it's your job, right? It's your job as the manager of your own fantasy team to make the hard decisions. Don't ask me on Twitter to make the call. You make the call. It's your team. I'm with you, 100%. Um, But if I have to answer the question, I'm saying Barber. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And ahead of both of those players, I have... Giovanni Bernard I think he's a rock solid RB2 this week against Chicago without Joe Mixon assuming he doesn't play with the concussion do you agree I may be a little too excited I have been team Gio for many years me too yes I, it was so exciting going back to the Jeremy Hill timeshare yes. I was calling for the Bengals to give the rock to Giovanni Bernard the thing I loved the most last week was they had no choice but to use Geo on those runs between the tackles, which is what they kind of acted like he can't do. And he's just gashing the Steelers between yes. the tackles. On paper, it looks like kind of a difficult matchup against the Bears. But the Bears' statistics are really jaded by the fact that they've been good at home and not very good at all on the road. And they're traveling to Cincinnati. I think that Bengals defense, if they can just get a little bit healthier, will be good against Trubisky. Plenty of opportunities for Geo. He's a borderline number one for me. And that's probably because I'm a fanboy. No, that noise you hear is Giovanni <laughs> Bernard rising up our rankings as we speak. Now, I am admittedly, uh, <laughs> I can't even believe I'm admitting this. I am a tepid Kerwin Williams fanboy. Oh, wow. I've always believed in Kerwin Williams going back to his time at Utah State. I always thought he looked like a poor man's Giovanni Bernard, actually. Okay. I thought he was someone that could carry a full load, was good in the passing game, and was just undervalued. And then he had a chance, ooh, early in the season, he's the guy. He's the number one waiver pickup after week one. Everyone's rushing to get Kerwin Williams. And then uh, they abandoned him so quickly. I thought it was unfair. And now he's just been lingering around the depth chart. There he is back in that starting role and he succeeded yes nice did we just dismiss kerman williams too soon too quickly i never really considered him in the first place so i guess i probably did yes i know no i listen after last week uh kerman williams truthers they exist now uh look correct yeah i'm the one yes and listen if it's a situation it's really weird because they talked like adrian peterson was going to be a game time decision on sunday Mm. and then listening to bruce arians yesterday it sounds more like he's still not even been cleared by a doctor he's not playing again this season i i feel very strongly that you're right about that and so this matchup against tennessee who's been better against the run but they're banged up now on the road i think he's a fine number two running back that's right i agree now Alvin Kamara has been 
the signature league winning asset in fantasy football. You would agree? Absolutely. You look across fantasy leagues, the teams that are number one with the bye in week 14, look at their rosters. Who do they have? More often than not, Alvin Kamara. Now, is this the week that the variance finally lands on Alvin Kamara's head? We finally see the randomness work against him because the volume has not been there. The touch distribution has not been friendly to Alvin Kamara. He's just been so efficient. It hasn't mattered. Will it start to matter this week? I have a very hard time predicting when it's going to start to matter. It's going to matter eventually. I feel pretty strongly that it will matter. I don't, and that's a problem I have. I I continue to rank him not quite high enough because I don't allow myself to project a running back for seven yards per carry. Even if they've got seven yards per carry on the year, I do not think that is sustainable. So I am not going to project seven yards per carry. And for a running back, I generally cap it at nine and a half yards per reception. That's right. That's right. I I don't think that running backs are going to maintain a yards per reception above that. So if he continues to do this, I will always be wrong about ranking Alvin Kamara. And I am team Kamara over Kamara, but I know that most people, I really liked it when Joe Buck Buck called him Kamara and Kamara on the same play. I thought it was Kamara. I thought it was settled. Is it not? Is it back open? I I believe my understanding is that he says Kamara and his mom says Kamara. Oh, wow. I got to go with what the player says. I'm going with mom. Oh, wow. This is is going to be an open dispute for a while. But I've been playing fantasy football for, I don't know, 25 years. And I don't think that's the way that the fantasy gods work. Because most of those teams that have Alvin Kamara don't play this week. They're on a bye. I don't think that they are fortunate enough that when the luck runs out, it runs out on their bye. I'm going to say next week is the week that Alvin Kamara stops performing like a top five running back. We have to continue to put Alvin Kamara way the fuck up there. But (laughs) one of these weeks, one of these weeks... The fantasy gamers that own Alvin Kamara will be clotheslined by the variance bar. Yeah, I I have no doubt. That's the way that this game works. Now, I'm saying that. I I said the same thing about... And those people are me, by the way, and that's fine. I am rooting against myself because (laughs) I am loyal first and foremost to probability theory, not my own fantasy teams. That's a fun life to live, isn't it? It's terrible. I hate it. It's almost like trying to guess who will score more fantasy points in that Titans backfield. Week to week, it's a frustrating backfield. If you own Derrick Henry, you're frustrated. If you own DeMarco Murray, you're frustrated because DeMarco Murray has been terrible. And Derrick Henry has not been getting enough opportunities. He has not been getting the touches that align with his ability. Why the hell are the Titans still splitting carries? Loyalty is a hell of a drug, is what I would say. DeMarco Murray, I I don't want to talk down on him too much because he has been a fantastic running back for the past five seasons he's not the same running back that he was and i'm giving him a free pass for the chip kelly year he's a warrior yes. than what he plays through he's a warrior um and, and but derrick henry listen i've got plenty of derrick henry dynasty and keeper shares that mm. would like to be unleashed yes let's give derrick henry 20 carries a game and oh. watch him be a top five fantasy running back the thing i like for derrick henry because i do think they have hopefully a positive game script this week and he's the closer if they have a lead against arizona in the fourth quarter we may not see demarco murray it'll be the derrick henry show that would be nice that would be really nice you are going to spend three anxious quarters every week as a derrick henry owner hoping the titans have a lead in the fourth quarter derrick henry has some attributes in common with tevin coleman in that he does not have the exceptional lateral agility 
but he has the explosive downhill running style that allows for big plays when the wide running lanes present themselves. So in that way, he gets the most out of situations where the offensive line sets the running back up for success. Would you do me a favor? Would you tell Derrick Henry that he does not have exceptional lateral agility? Because that's my only complaint about him is he goes side to side too often. Well, that's true. A lot of these running backs, that's, that's their that's their fatal flaw. And that's why we like a Devontae Freeman, because he does have exceptional lateral agility. And as soon as he sees that crease, boom, he explodes up through it. Even though he doesn't have great burst, it's the quickness and the vision that allow him to compile those yards, despite some of those athletic limitations that a Tevin Coleman and a Derrick Henry don't have. But when you look at Derrick Henry, the criticism is, well, you know, he's going to get dropped in the backfield too much and you're overweighting the benefits that he provides on those long runs. And my argument back is, well, I want those long runs. The fact that those explosive plays are in his range of outcomes are what make him so valuable. Those are game-changing plays that he brings to the table that most running backs do not. That's why you continue to feed him and wait for that explosive play to materialize. And when it does, when it manifests, it helps you win the game. You just need to be patient and allow a couple negative runs to happen before the 80-yard run wins the game. That's the argument for Derrick Henry. That's also the argument for giving more carries to Tevin Coleman. What do you think the optimal Atlanta backfield touch ratio should be? Well, am I talking for the Atlanta Falcons or for fantasy owners? <laughs> because for the Atlanta Falcons... To win games, but also for fantasy owners. Yeah, I, I would like to see Devontae Freeman on the field most of the time in short yardage. I would like to see both of these running backs. I don't know what's happened with the pass-catching role in Atlanta this year. Because we've seen a little stretch where Tevin Coleman was really involved. And there was a time when we didn't even think Tevin Coleman could do that. That was a serendipitous event, was it not? The yes. Tevin Coleman seven-target game. I love that. But then he got six last week. Like, he disappeared from the passing game and then came back last week. I would like to see more of that work as well. I think you probably need to give this on a per-series basis. And maybe go two series for Freeman, one free, one for Coleman. I'm okay with that as long as Tevin Coleman gets all the work in the two-minute drill and passing situations. Because I really think Tevin Coleman is a superior asset in the passing game. And it's counterintuitive. You look at these two players next to each other. You look at Tevin Coleman, you go, okay, that's your short yardage guy. And you look at Devontae Freeman, you go, oh, there's your satellite back. Make sure he's in there in passing situations. But it's reversed. Their actual yep. skill sets make them best deployed counterintuitively. And I think that's a challenge for even the coaches to figure out how best to use these players. When I see their usage, it seems like the coaches are schizophrenic about their utilization and it makes fantasy gamers uncertain about playing these two guys, but you have to just continue to play them. You have to play Devontae Freeman because he's getting the volume and you have to play Tevin Coleman because he can deliver those splash plays two touchdowns on any given game. Yeah, I I view Coleman when Freeman's right and active. I view Coleman as more of a flex. And and right now, I think Freeman is a high-end number two running back. If Atlanta could ever get their offense going again, then I'd put him back in the number one conversation. But we really underrated. I think he's a number one this week against New Orleans, is he not? I, I would like to think that he is, but his 
volume was not consistent enough before he suffered the concussion. And I didn't see enough last week that tells me it's going to be this week. I think they slow played his return last week. I expect more volume for Freeman this week. We'll see. We'll see. I I think that there's a chance that the Atlanta running game really ramps up this week in a big way. That's my bet this week. and, And the rankings reflect that. Yeah. I don't think that's wrong. Now let's play a game. Yes. Real or fake? Okay. Now I'm going to modulate my voice later so it sounds cool. <laughs> okay. Jimmy Garoppolo. Ah. Yeah, a little pause there. Oh, there's a long pause there because I'm trying to decide, am I saying his performance last week was real or fake or the hype surrounding his performance last? Because that is the most hyped quarterback performance in the history of quarterback performances that did not include a touchdown. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Yes. We are anointing him the future of San Francisco, and he might be the future of San Francisco. He, it's hard not to look good when you're being contrasted with C.J. Beathard. I think this was the differential between the outcome and the expectations. Yes, I like, I like the rapport he's built with Marquise Goodwin. I think Goodwin's going to be a good receiver this week. I am not all that interested in starting Jimmy Garoppolo, even with a fantastic matchup against Houston. It's fantastic. It really is tempting. It, oh, it, it is. <laughs> I mean, I understand the temptation. I just, I, I would like, and I know this is probably bad um, results over process, but I would like to see him throw a touchdown pass. <laughs> you think? Okay, that's fair. <laughs> that is totally fair. What about Kenyon Drake? He scored last week. Real or fake? Kenyon Drake. Real or fake? I, I think that was a little bit real. And sure, it's oh. against a Broncos defense that isn't really trying and was without two of their best run stoppers. But I think there's a little bit of something there with Kenyon Drake in terms of a number two fantasy running back, especially when you consider that there's not really anybody else there to touch him in terms of touches. Not right now. No, and he is explosive. And right. he's a, the Patriots he's got do big struggle against opposing running backs. It's all true. It's all lining up for him this week. I think what's more interesting is real or fake, the Patriots struggle against anything. You use their season-long numbers, and they look like the best matchup against almost every position. That's right. You use their last five or six weeks numbers, and it's like, holy crap, I don't want to start anybody against this defense. Yeah, so we don't know what the Patriots are on defense. That's why I can't put Kenyon Drake in that RB1 category yet. The New England Patriots defense is not a lock to get shredded by opposing running backs. It's just not. You don't know what they are right now, and because it's the Dolphins— and it's the Dolphins' offensive line, and it's Kenyon Drake, who's never been a primary running back in his career going back to Alabama. You have to go back to high school to find the last time Kenyon Drake played the role of primary running back for a football team. Because of that, I need to see one more game where he gets 20-plus carries. He has one game in his career with more than 10. Yep. And it happened to be last week where he had 23 I'd like to see it one more time. You'd like to see Garoppolo get one touchdown. I'd like to see <laughs> Kenyon Drake carry the ball more than 20 times. One more time. Just just one more time. That's fair. What about Alex Collins? Real or fake? He looks pretty real to me. I, and right? I, there, there's, a, there's a lot of joking about his uh, dance classes, but he does have outstanding footwork, and footwork does matter a lot for running backs. It does. He had great footwork at Arkansas, though. I mean, that's just yes. been his thing, right? He doesn't have the explosiveness. He's not electric in space. He's not a great pass catcher, but he has that agility and the instincts between the tackles. And that's the thing about the whole 
dancing thing. If you're a guy with bad footwork, you're probably not going to get to a point where you go take dance lessons and that makes you have good footwork. It's just the fact that he had the good footwork and that was something he was interested in and that highlighted the fact that he has he's light on his feet like this. Like Herschel Walker, yes. He was already light on his feet and that led him to dancing because he was so... His body was already predisposed to dance. Yeah. That's but right. To, be, to, to answer the question, he's a top 10 running back for me this week. Oh, oh well, that's <laughs> real. What about Samaj P. Ryan? Real or fake? Very, very conflicted. Oh. I kind of thought he was just a guy coming into this season. I was irritated with everyone assuming he was going to take Rob Kelly's job. Although I think Rob Kelly is just a guy, too. He was a guy that they already trusted. I like that you were loyal to a Kelly. Yes. I also feel like everyone got too down on P. Ryan when he started his career off with the fumbles. And that's no reason to doubt why he was a bad runner when he was having the fumbling issue because we often see young running backs when they're struggling with holding on to the ball they start focusing more on holding on to the ball than any other part of their job and it's a hard job to be a good running back in the nfl it's a really hard job if all you're thinking about is don't drop it don't drop it don't drop it so i do think there's something to he's come into his own here as of late and he's more comfortable and but i still think he's pretty much just a guy well, the story you laid out for Samaj P. Ryan was Alex Collins' story. Alex Collins yeah. was ultimately cut because of fumbling issues in Seattle. They are very similar players going all the way back to their time in college. That's true. That's true. And the Chargers are a very good matchup for running backs. That's right. Here's something I struggle with. Got to play P. Ryan this week. I think the game script is bad for Washington. Probably. I don't know that they score a lot of points traveling across the country to the Chargers who are just on fire right now. They are. Their offensive line is decimated. They should change their logo to a lightning bolt. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So the only thing that I like about P Ryan is the fact that he's getting volume and the chargers are good matchup for running backs, but everything else points me against him. So I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, we disagree there. I think he's for real. Now, Teon green, Uh, you know who that is? It's the new starting running back for the Detroit lions. His name's Teon green. We were introduced to him last weekend. I will admit that I didn't know who he was. This is a bit of a layup for you to say, no, not for real. He's not for real. He, I'm not sure Amir Abdullah is for real either, though. This was a bit of an indictment yes. that we're talking about Tion Green right now, an indictment of Amir Abdullah. But just to give you a little bit of background on Tion Green, he runs a 4.84. His burst score on playerprofiler.com, 107.6. That combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into an equally weighted metric. Now, that's sixth percentile. He also has fifth percentile agility, and his best comparable player is, in fact, Rob Kelly. Oh, I was thinking you were going to say it was Amir Abdullah. No, yes, no. He is very much the opposite of Amir Abdullah in the workout metrics category, but he may be a more effective runner because it's hard to be less effective than Amir Abdullah. And I don't think Teon Green is real in any shape, fashion, or form as a future asset. 
No. The reason I, I gave pause is I don't know for sure that Amir Abdullah comes back this week, and Tampa Bay is a fantastic matchup, and if Matthew Stafford's playing, that game's going to be an absolute shootout. Yes, we have Tion Green ranked a lot higher than consensus because you have to, because he's going to get carries in a situation that will produce fantasy points. I mean, sometimes yep. fantasy football doesn't have to be hard, and it doesn't matter that he looks like Rob Kelly. You have games on the Rob Kelly resume where he was a strong flex option based on touchdown upside alone. Yep, agree completely. What about Josh Gordon? That's another layup on the other side of the spectrum, right? This is just a little free throw for you. I'm, I think I'm lower on Gordon than maybe you are or most others are this week. And it has nothing to do with Josh Gordon. He looked phenomenal. I'm amazed that he can be away from football for that long and come back and still look like one of the best wide receivers in football. Amazing. But Deshaun Kaiser completes about 55% of his passes, and half of those have been like four-yard dump-offs to Duke Johnson. That's right. His accuracy is atrocious. And Gordon's got a huge catch radius, but it's not seven yards wide. So my concern is, yes, I think Josh Gordon might get 10 to 12 targets this week. I think it's a good matchup. I think there's still a very good chance he catches 40% of them. And it'll have nothing to do with Josh Gordon. It's just that Deshaun Kaiser does not put the ball in the same zip code sometimes. Right. We do not have Josh Gordon as a WR1 in fantasy this week. I have him ranked in the same zone as Devontae Adams, Sterling Shepard, Devin Funchess, these are players that will get volume, but don't have accurate quarterbacks throwing them the ball. I'm sorry, Cam Newton enthusiasts. Cam Newton's a lot of things. He's not accurate. Oh, I am. You are much higher on Devin Funchess, Cam Newton, and everyone else, it sounds like, than I am this week. I'm terrified of that Carolina offense, especially Christian McCaffrey. Right. We definitely have Josh Gordon ranked ahead of Devin Funchess, but I was just going down the list. Yeah. Devin Funchess has to be ranked in at least the top 40 because yes. of the target share alone, regardless of what you think the efficiency is going to be. The number one receiver on a Carolina Panthers has to get the benefit of the doubt in the rankings. He's always going to be a flex option each and every week, just based on volume alone. And he might surprise you with one of these three catches for 50 yards and a touchdown. And guess what? That's flex. It's 50 right. yards. It's only three catches, but that's how receivers like Devin Funchess maintain their flex status week in, week out. And I've been pleasantly surprised by him this year. I just, I hate everything about that Minnesota Carolina game this week. Me too. Me too. I want nothing to do with that game. I was struggling finding anyone in that game I was excited about. I was like, I don't want anything to do with this game. I looked at the over-under and I said, are you kidding me, Vegas? Are you kidding me? You're giving the Carolina Panthers 19 implied points? No, 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 no. You're giving Minnesota 22 implied points? <laughs> right on! Sure, that's a 13-10 game. Yep. That's terrifying for fantasy footballers. Stay away. That's right. What about Robbie Anderson? Is he real or fake? 100% real. I oh. love this kid. I Last year, he was fun. Yes, yes, Fun Robbie. That's right, Fun Robbie. I had a, a friend in college named Fun Robbie. And he was Fun Robbie last, last year. It, it, you weren't really ever going to start him, but man, when he did it, he did it. It was, it was fun to watch. It was a big play. He came back this year, and in the absence of any other qualified wide receivers, I apologize, Mr. Curse, <laughs> he learned more of the route tree. And he's running a lot of different types of routes adequately. 
and he has a connection with his quarterback, Josh McCown. I don't, I'm not saying that I think he's going to be a number one wide receiver like he has been here recently, but he's real as a fantasy starter for me. Oh, he's been a top five receiver in the second half of the season. Six touchdowns in the last six games. But look at those reception totals and the targets. You see six receptions, four receptions, six receptions, eight receptions. Robbie Anderson used to be a four-reception guy that could give you a splash play, more along the lines of a Martavis Bryant, like we talked about earlier. Yep. He doesn't look like Martavis Bryant any longer. He looks like a receiver that you can rely on, and you can see it's being reflected in that target share, and you start to see the weekly reception starting to climb, and he's young. This all makes sense that he was young. He was a mega producer at Temple. He's developing rapport with his quarterback. He's growing and developing, and he's the real deal at 24 years old. Well, I think this is something maybe we don't talk about enough, especially when it comes to dynasty or keeper value, is the these things that we can infer based on what has happened. We knew coming in, Robbie Anderson's really fast, and he can catch okay. Yeah. We have now seen that he has at least the minimum amount of work ethic required to learn more pass routes and to learn how to run them more correctly. We have seen that he is at least not a total asshole because Josh McCown likes him and likes throwing the football to him. That's right. So he has shown us some things that we just based on what's happened on the field that I think gives him more, a more bright future. The intangibles are working in Robbie Anderson's favor. And it's interesting. Robbie Anderson is one of those NFL field stretchers that has become a number one receiver. I can't remember the last time we had so many field stretchers moving into number one roles on NFL offenses and become weekly fantasy contributors. Instead of being the boom-bust receivers that the field stretchers were typically known as, now they're consistent producers. You see that with Robbie Anderson. You're now seeing that with Marquise Goodwin. Is Marquise Goodwin for real? Ah. If we're talking about the rest of the season, I think he is. I think the target volume will be there, and he's got a connection with Jimmy Garoppolo. And he, but what I really like is everybody's scared to death of his speed. And for most of the year, it was he's going to have to hit one big play or he's going to be worthless. And what we saw last week with Garoppolo was he actually just said, okay, I'll run some underneath routes and we'll just catch every pass. So, yeah, the curl is always open for Marquise yes, Goodwin. Absolutely. And, and he finally accepted they, they accepted it last week. So, that gives me hope. And what happens from this point forward is either teams just continue to let him go eight for 68 on eight targets and you hope he scores a touchdown or teams come up and play him a little closer and then it's goodbye. That's right. He can give you all those things. Look at Marquise Goodwin's profile on playerprofiler.com. It exudes wow factor. I mean, we're talking about a hundredth percentile 40 time, 96th percentile burst score, 95th percentile agility score. He's one of the most athletic players in the NFL. When you look across the board, very, very, very few players have that whole athletic package like Marquise Goodwin. And I love to see that. I love to see a guy who wasn't necessarily devoting 100% of his efforts, 100% of his will toward the sport of football you know he had other interests outside of football now he's honing his craft and spending all of his time on the sport of football and it's translating into on-field production and hyper efficiency and I just wanted to continue and I love that pairing in San Francisco of Marquise Goodwin on the outside and Trent Taylor on the inside because Trent Taylor was one of college football's best slot receivers last year and he's doing it now at the professional level. And I'm impressed with Trent Taylor. I think he has what it takes to be a volume slot receiver. And 
that pairing is a nightmare for defenses. So you have a great slot receiver paired with a great field stretcher. The weapons that Jimmy Garoppolo has at his disposal are better than I think most people understand. That is, unless they go to playerprofiler.com. Now, another field stretcher exceeding expectations, becoming a regular contributor is Kenny Stills. Do you think of Kenny Stills as a player that's real or fake? I think Kenny Stills is a player that's generally undervalued in terms of his talent. Always. I am not I am not particularly excited about Kenny Stills' fantasy production in that situation. Um, I, I don't love Jay Cutler and what he's become. Jarvis Landry, I still think, is going to see a ton of targets. And they aren't just going to give up on Devontae Parker Floyd. Sorry, I call him Devontae Parker Floyd now as part of a joke. Our host of our podcast, Adam Azer, was a huge, huge, huge Michael Floyd fan. Okay, yes, yes. Oh, he is following that Michael Floyd career path, is he not? Absolutely. And so, and he loves Devontae Parker. Oh, of course he does. We actually, we do a rejects league for anybody that does not get into our podcast league. And every year, Adam and I share a team. Just and, they, and we play with some of the listeners, and I made him change our team name two weeks ago because we had Devontae Parker on our team all year, and we've changed our team name to Devontae Parker Floyd. It's it's I, but I don't th- that that being said, my feelings about Devontae Parker's um, ability to reach his potential aside, the Dolphins aren't going to give up on him. So I, I just worry that the the target share, while it was there in Week 13, is not going to be consistent enough for Stills to be anything more than a flex. And it was there in week 11 as well, though. That was with his, his best friend, Matt Moore, though. That's true. Now, it is interesting when you look at Michael Floyd's career. Michael Floyd is a warning flare. In Dynasty, when I sit down and I look at a player like Devontae Parker, I think there's no way this guy doesn't hit. This guy is a lock to be a big-time NFL playmaker. But then you see these cautionary tales, and you see a Michael Floyd who had a similar profile at Notre Dame. Similar production, similar athleticism, and yet he was not able to translate those gifts into NFL production. There is a je ne sais quoi factor that is required at the next level, and there are receivers that look exactly like Michael Floyd and Devontae Parker that simply never fire at the NFL level, and it's in your best interest in Dynasty to come to terms with this before some of your league mates so that you can sell low. We talk about buy high, sell low, instead of buy low, sell high. Well, that's a great example. There's this residual value that a player like Devontae Parker carries that can be recouped in trade if you're willing to sell low. And the cautionary tales like Michael Floyd help to give you confidence to make those moves. Does that make sense? I think you nailed it. I was just, I thought you were pausing for dramatic effect. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, we'll have an extra pause there. Yes. Yes. I'm pause that for sure. Okay. One more real or fake field stretcher who's turning into a regular contributor, and that's Didi Westbrook. Didi Westbrook's interesting to me. He is. Because I don't like his quarterback very much, but his quarterback has been awfully good for wide receivers fantasy production. Um, I also don't like his game script situation very much moving forward for the rest of this year. I probably would say I like D.D. Westbrook more for the rest of his career than I do for the rest of this season, if that makes sense. I think he's real as a player. A lot of positive attributes, but 
I don't know that I love the situation for the rest of this season. That's the thing. I like D.D. Westbrook in a vacuum, but it's a horrible situation, especially for a player with his talent profile, and the game script is the key. If they're not losing in the second half, what good is D.D. Westbrook? It was one thing when Allen Robinson had a catch rate below 50%, but he was still a WR1. Why? Because garbage time. Without the garbage time, I'm not excited about D.D. Westbrook. Now, what about Ricky Seals-Jones? <laughs> what do you have to be to be real at tight ends? Like, it, <laughs> can you be real at tight end if you just play 20? I'm not impressed with Ricky Seals-Jones, Heath, but people are asking me about Ricky Seals-Jones, and I have to ask you about Ricky Seals-Jones because others are asking me, and I'm frankly sick of it. Well, to be clear, I think maybe I was coming at this from a different point. It's not that I am impressed with Ricky Seals-Jones. What is he, 225 pounds? He's a tweener. If I were starting an NFL franchise today, he would not be on my shopping list. He is the opposite of D.D. Westbrook. Yes, yes. I have no long-term interest in Ricky Seals-Jones. Right. But for week 14, we've got... You gotta play him. Five tight ends. We got five tight ends this entire season, averaging seven fantasy points per game. That's awful. That's awful. Two of them aren't even playing this week. Oh, this is such a bad week. Oh, <laughs> like you're starting Ricky Seals-Jones if you were lucky enough to pick him up. That's right. Yeah, plenty of people are out there starting Ricky Seals-Jones and start him proudly. You're definitely starting Keenan Allen. And you're so happy if you stuck with him and you found a way to make it into the playoffs because he buried you early. But then if you somehow were able to scrap and claw, maybe you had Alvin Kamara, you have Keenan Allen now. Is he a top three fantasy receiver the rest of the way? Uh, yeah. So are you bracing for a Zay Jones breakout this week as well? Uh, no. I like Zay Jones, but... You said that so dismissively, and then you came back over the top with, well, I really do like Zay Jones. <laughs> I, I like, like he, he gets open. I, I do think he gets open, and that's an important thing to do. Catching the football is also an important yeah, target thing. Target separation. Yes, I like the separation, but there, I still feel like, I know Tyrod Taylor practiced. They immediately after the report came out that he practiced, but he was very limited. They don't want to start Tyrod. They would love to have an excuse to not start Tyrod. And if you're telling me you got a quarterback that catches, or a receiver that catches 30% of his targets from Tyrod Taylor, and now he has to try to catch passes from Nathan Peterman, no. Okay. I was starting to get excited about Zay Jones, and I'm <laughs> thankful that you wound me back. You were like Mr. Freeze, and you just chilled the entire area. You didn't just freeze me. You froze my entire house. Like, everything is frozen, and now we can chill and come back to a reality, a sanity with Zay Jones. I don't know what happened, Heath. I, I got way out over my skis with Zay Jones in week 14, and thank you. You saved me from flying off into a gorge to my death. There was at least one purpose in me being here today, and I'm, I'm happy that I was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we talked about tight ends. Ricky Seals-Jones is a means to an end. Would you rather start Ricky Seals-Jones, David Njoku, or Steven Anderson this week? If you're in a streaming mood, right? if you have a need for stream, who you got? I need more information to tell you, honestly, as of this moment, I would say Ricky Seals-Jones would be my favorite. Of David Njoku and Steven Anderson, who you got? Anderson. Yes. What do you like about Anderson? Uh, volume. Tom right. Savage doesn't have, and maybe there's a chance that Will Fuller comes back this week. I think it's maybe a, a low chance. If he comes back, that will change my opinion. But right now, Tom Savage is going to throw 14 passes to DeAndre Hopkins. 
he might dump off five or six to the running backs, and he doesn't really have anybody else healthy to throw the ball to. No. So no Bruce Ellington. Um, nope. Possibly no Will Fuller. If Will Fuller does not play then I'm going to be very excited about Steven Anderson because Steven Anderson is hugely athletic. I mean, he runs a 4.65. That's Jarvis Landry's 40 time. He also has a 126.0 burst score and an 11.08 agility score. So he has wide receiver burst and agility, a 10.22 87th percentile catch radius. This guy is a playmaker, and he will be the Texans' number two receiver. Not their starting tight end. He's going to be their number two receiver. It could potentially just be Hopkins and Anderson this week. And if that's the case, even if it's Tom Savage throwing the ball, Steven Anderson is a very attractive streamer. Yes, absolutely. And and I think the receiver distinction you made is an important one. He's a move tight end. Because he is lining up outside. Yeah, he's a move tight end, but he will be lined up in the slot. He will act as a de facto receiver this week. And that does get me excited when I think about the ball in that guy's hands. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I may need to reevaluate if Will Fuller's confirmed out, if Braxton Miller's not. I mean, if everybody's gone, I may have to put Anderson ahead of Ricky Seals Jones. You got to boost him. You got to boost Anderson. I'm telling you. I also like David Njoku, though. That's the thing. I also like David Njoku. How can you not like David Njoku? David Njoku, in the last two games, he's had a snap share above 50%. And he has 10 targets, 8 receptions, 121 yards, and a touchdown the last two games. It seems like they're starting to unlock David Njoku in Cleveland. So he's also exciting. We talked about how the tight end position is a wasteland, but we have our saviors. We're staring right at them. They are saviors in the sense that I can put them in my lineup. They do exist, and they have some upside. Njoku, they are players in the fantasy database. Yes, that's true, Matt. They are in the database. <laughs> My problem with Njoku, I mean, I already talked about how I feel about Deshaun Kaiser, and there's it's hard to see a lot of targets going that way, and they've kept Seth DeValve involved as well. Seth DeValve needs to go away. Go far, <laughs> far away from me, Seth DeValve. What about Kenny Galladay this week? I think Kenny Galladay is my sneaky flex option for week 14. The matchup is exceptional. His snap share has been 80% or above the last two weeks. And when he's targeted, he's incredibly efficient. So if Matthew Stafford plays, do you like Kenny Galladay's chances to be a fantasy difference maker this week? Yeah. So is Drew Brees a bust? I hate using that word about him, but it's not your fault, Drew. You've been great. But yes, absolutely. For fantasy purposes, he's 100% a bust. Yes, he's a bust. I can't believe it, but it's true. Drew Brees is absolutely a bust this year just based on fantasy points per game alone. Game flow is working against him strongly. We never thought we'd see that during his time in New Orleans, but that's what's happening. Now, last question. I'll get you out of here on this. Which under-the-radar player do you qualify for truth or status on? I'll give you three. Really? Okay. Uh, one we talked about earlier, I've 100% been a Gio Bernard truther. Um, even throughout this season, as they've not given him touches, I think they've gotten a larger share even when Joe Mixon was healthy. Uh, number two, I still believe that Josh Reynolds is a better wide receiver than Cooper Cup. Oh, wow. Wow, I love this take. Yes, Josh Reynolds. Bam! You'd give Josh Reynolds all of the red zone targets that Cooper Cup got this year. He'd probably have double-digit touchdowns. 
Woo! Love it. No, I love that one. And then my last one, and this may be a little bit of homerism, but I loved him so much before the draft. So just f- fair disclosure, I am from Kansas City. Um, I still believe that Patrick Mahomes will be the best quarterback from this quarterback class. Nice. His deep ball accuracy is so intoxicating. Look how good Tyreek Hill has been with Alex Smith. Imagine what he could be with an elite downfield thrower like Patrick Mahomes. Well, I'm very excited because I, you know, I had Hogan on so many teams and I've just been holding on to him and now he's practicing and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. It's almost like he timed it for the playoffs. No Gronk. (laughs) A week with no Gronk against the Dolphins. Oh, baby. I think I'm facing someone where I have maybe multiple leagues where I think I have Hogan and he has Gronk. (laughs) I will take those targets, sir, and beat you with your own targets. Yes. (laughs) 